I have to admit, it is very weird interviewing someone you've known for more than 30 years. But true to form, the second you start talking, you start discovering things you never knew. You find new fascinations, shared struggles, and new insights. Such was my experience with author, educator, and performer Ellen Hagen. We grew up together in Bardstown, Kentucky, which nobody describes better than her. Bardstown, Kentucky. Rolling hills, grass so blue it's green. Creek beds and catching crawdads. Firefly Friday nights. Fish fry and cornbread. Fried chicken livers, pork chops covered. Barbecue, porch sitting all day. Glider or swing back and forth. Main Street, slow drawl, honey, pecans. Fresh peaches in the summertime. A watermelon sliced straight through. Voted most beautiful small town in Kentucky. And I, for one, believe every word. I think Ellen's most interesting strength is that she lacks weakness. Creative, witty, and woke, Ellen Hagen is a walking masterclass. Sit back and enjoy. Ellen Hagen, so if I look at your bio, it says, what, author, actress, writer, educator. That's a lot, but I don't know that that sums all of you up. I feel like you are so many things to so many people, but I guess I should start with welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. It's so it feels like we're, we've been reconnecting and it feels, I love it. I, I feel very happy about it. Well, we really have. You were, you were, uh, we, I did a short piece on you for my show uh, a few months ago. Um, and it was great. Full disclosure uh, for everybody listening Ellen and I grew up together. Uh, we went to high school together. We were lifeguards together at the Barstown City Pool uh, in our formative days. Um, but, you know, Ellen, you were always one of those people that, um, you know, some people just, you don't worry about. I was never, and, and I say this because I, I always look at my friends and I root for them and I want the best for them and you hope that they make it. Um, but there was a certainty with you, even in high school. Um, I don't know where that came from. I don't know if you were aware of that. I don't know if you had insecurities in high school, but perceivably, Ellen, you just had this level of talent that didn't just exist as talent, but you were able to articulate it and just be authentically yourself as a teenager. And so there's not a question in there, Ellen. I just think it's important to set that up, what, what my thoughts of you are or were at that time, uh, so we can really dive into how you grew up and, and how you became this this um, sorceress of words <laughs> and abilities. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny that you say that because I, I feel the same way about you. And I think about your trajectory and watching what you have done. I, I remember, you know, my mom, who we always loved you and always anything, any success that you had, if I hadn't seen it first, she was texting me or like, hey, did you see what Eric King has done? And so I also think about, you know, 
people find each other and want to connect. I remember being in the play with you and figuring and being just wanting to be, you know, around your orbit too. So thinking about like, who was I drawn to? Who was I watching? And, and that's why it feels so exciting to connect with you again after so many years, because it feels like the same person you were in high school, the same person I wanted to be around and hang out with and laugh with, it is, is you just amplified? Like I, I think about that idea of as we age, you know, ideally we become more of, of ourselves. And if it, if that, you know, it, it just sort of is, it's like high, highlighted versions of ourselves, ideally. I keep thinking about that as I age, like how do I become more of the good parts of myself? You know, just figuring out how do I feed that or how do I, uh, that word, that idea of amplifying yourself. You know? It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. And thank you for saying that. Um, were you, you know, when you were growing up, um, did you feel in control? Did you feel authentic? Did you have, because in high school for me, I couldn't wait to get out. I just felt like my life was not going to start until I got out of these hallways. And that's not a negative thing about Bardstown or the school or anything like that. I just felt like I don't fit in here. Everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. I've got these funny eyes and it's just everything about me felt strange in the ecosystem that was Barstown High School and the city of Barstown at the time. You did not appear that way to me. So I'm curious to know if there were insecurities early on. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, I think I had a combination of confidence, cockiness, and insecurity that lived very, very closely next to each other. I think I was, I, I was somebody who was drawn to writing at a very young age. I started, I think, keeping a journal seriously around eighth grade, seventh, eighth grade. And I felt like art was a place that I could feed all of those emotions and the anxieties and the, I, I always felt like I didn't, I always felt like I didn't quite fit in, in, in small town Kentucky either. I wanted to get out as soon as I could. Uh, and I don't know if that was, you know, I, I think about in retrospect, I remember having this, you know, my mom, I'll tell a story about my nose, which my nose felt like my mom would always say, you have your grandfather's nose. It's a strong Middle Eastern nose. And but she would always be grappling with her own beauty, too, or what she thought of as parts of herself that were tied to her cultural, you know, that, that she was a Syrian, Italian. But this idea that this part of you was not as beautiful tied to your ancestry or tied to your, you know, ethnicity. And so I remember being like, I don't quite fit in. I don't quite feel like I look the way a Kentucky woman is supposed to look, which is a very, you know, um, it, it's a, a look. And I felt like I didn't quite, I didn't fit in. I didn't want to, um, I don't know. I was grappling with the ideas of beauty. I was grappling with uh, wanting to write things that felt very, um, I don't know, radical to me. I wanted to write about, about feminism. I wanted to write about, you know, um, identity growing into myself. I felt like I was a, a teenager that felt like I was on fire. I was like, I got to, I, I, I felt electrified in a way that I wanted to, and I was reading a ton and I was seeing the, like, I, I kept wanting to be 
everywhere. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to be like, I felt hemmed in by, by Bardstown in a way. And even though I had an amazing community, I think, I think I learned, you know, we had teachers who were, I felt like I was, I was able to thrive because of the teachers, because of the community that I was a part of my family. Like I felt like I was held, you know, by Bardstown and by Kentucky, but it still didn't make me not feel like I wanted to rage against it. And so I felt both of those things, you know, I, I, I felt they were, they ran side by side for me. Uh, and I think that made me a little reckless in high school. I think it made me take a more risks than I should have. I think, um, you know, I was existing in a way that felt like I was living a little dangerously. And part of it was, part of it was being a teenager for me. Part of it was trying to, to, to figure out who I was, how to be true to myself. And then, you know, at the same time, I was figuring out how to be, you know, there was, there was a lot of racism. There was a lot of sexism. There was a lot of it just as being a teenager in that place. So I was also figuring out what does my rage look like? How do I, um, you know, how, how, how do I push back against some of those things and how do I do it with my art and how, how do I do it and still fit in? You know, like I was feel, feeling like I was doing all those things at the same time, you know? I remember at graduation, uh, I, I think I was a speaker at one of the graduating functions and everybody around me was talking about, you know, we've been through so much together. These are the best years of our lives. And I'm looking at them thinking, no, 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 don't, don't stop. That we haven't been through anything together but high school. And right. these are not the best years of our lives. Um, and so I, you know, Ellen, I asked the question to set that up because, you know, uh, a lot of us went into fields that are, you know, fairly identifiable, you know, it, the, the typical, what do you want to be? Doctor, lawyer, firefighter, you know, with me, it was journalist and, and that's a finite thing. But when you go into the arts, it's always, uh, I don't want to say a risk because uh, I don't know if you felt like you were taking a risk or not. I'll, I'll ask you that specifically in a second, but you know, when you're going into the arts, so much of it depends on your ability to just deliver and to think on a different plane and to just have this constant flow of talent that you have to live on. And so you graduated from high school, having been active in, in so many things. You went to the University of Kentucky. That's right. What was that journey? What did you study there? What was your course of study? What were your plans? Were you preparing to be you know, an artist or were you creating backup plans? Yeah, no, I, so, so I applied to one college. I applied to the University of Kentucky. I remember I really wanted to go to New York University and my family was like, no, you can apply to state schools or, you know, that's it. That's, that's your choice. I've been doing your mother's so, voice. Oh my God, Ellen, no. Yeah, yeah, it was it. I, I mean, even I work with so many young people today and they're applying to so many schools. I was like, there's another way too. You could just apply to, I mean, 
you know, I, I really, I, and part of wanting to go to University of Kentucky, Kentucky was that several of my friends were going to U of L. I was in, you know, Barstow felt like a small town. I felt like I just needed to reach. I needed to go to a school that, you know, to go from a, a graduating class of 80, I don't know, 85, something like that to 25, 30,000 people. I was just like, let's go, let's get into the big city of Lexington. Oh, uh, let's go to Lexington. Uh, but I also, they had an amazing theater program. And so I got my, my Bachelor of Fine Arts in acting. And so I knew about UK. Like I, I knew that they had a, a, a really strong theater program. I knew that I wanted to study theater. I loved writing, but there wasn't a, a, there wasn't a concentrated BFA in, in creative writing. And so my time at UK was really transformative and partly because I always tell this story to, to young people too, that I, I just completely failed a couple of auditions. I remember, like, I'm not a great singer. I can sing a little, but I'm not, I don't have a real voice. And I can- uh, Your yeah. 1997 performance of Grease at Barstow <laughs> High School would greatly disagree, but- I mean, maybe. I feel like I just couldn't quite hit those notes. They were, they were a stretch for me. And then I, the choreography, I didn't know, I, I can dance, but I can't follow dance moves. So I was not a musical theater person and there was a big musical theater push at UK. So I, I didn't get into a couple of productions. I remember I didn't get into these main stage. They were like the, the you know, the big productions. And there was what was called the black box theater. And that was the office, like the off, off, off Broadway, like the student run, student produced stuff. And my freshman year, we started to, I didn't get cast in these shows. And I remember thinking, oh, I don't care. Let's just write our own shows. And we had a couple of incredible, incredible professors at UK that said yes to everything we were putting out there to, we could just do experimental shows. I wrote a solo, you know, I did a solo show at UK as my senior thesis. And we were able to just create pieces that felt like that informed the rest of my, oh, these last 20 years, because it made me see that I could create my own work. I didn't have to wait for anybody else. You know, people always say that the, if you don't get cast, you got to write your own stuff or you got to write your own way. And it was the best lesson for me because I was, you know, 20, I was 19, 20, 21, those ages of, of like, how do I get my work out there and to have a stage and to have, you know, support from faculty at UK that we could actually create things that felt like we could share our voices and we could do things that felt a little, it felt cutting edge to me. You know, it was, it was Lexington, Kentucky in the, you know, late nineties, but it felt like we could do anything. And I, I will say there was also, I was able to work with people like Nikki Finney and Kelly Norman Ellis and uh, James Baker Hall. So they were also writing. I, I minored in English and so I got to take, Kentucky has such an amazing, rich literary tradition. The Afro-Latin poets were there. So it felt like I was getting a really, like a phenomenal education in, in the arts, in experimental theater, in creative writing. All of those things felt possible, those four years. And I did a study abroad in London, one of those semesters that was also changed it's just changed my worldview. Like everything I was doing was trying to expand my view. You know, it's just trying to expand my vision of what was possible and, and what could happen as an artist, you know? Um, so it was I a love good thing about that because it's just this constant learning 
and using experiences, not even the fact that you were abroad, just like any given conversation at any given time can be molding on some level. Yeah. Uh, is something you're actually, this is, I think this is my fifth podcast or my fifth episode, but you're my third artist. So th- there's, there's a natural draw that I didn't even realize that I have uh, to artists and their backstories, or I don't even know if it's so much backstory, Ellen, as it is roadmap, because it's such a risky to me. And I keep using the word risky and I probably shouldn't because I don't want to deter anybody, but you know, as someone, I, I say this for this reason, I have zero artistic talent and I'm fine with that. And so when I see someone that does, who is comfortable enough to say, all right, I'm going to make a life out of this. I just want to sit back and learn how they did it because you described some, what, you know, when you talk about, uh, you know, not getting cast in certain things, a lot of people would say, okay, uh, I'm going to change my major and I'm going to do something else. Right. Why didn't you ever say that? Yeah. I mean, I just, I, once I found art and I, I, I would say performing and writing, writing specifically, once I found writing, it felt like there was no going back. You know, I, it was I was going to figure out a way to make my art it, it, no matter what. And I think, you know, I, I always say my my biggest talent is that I'm relentless and just am relentless. I'm 40. I just turned 43. And I just, it has taken me a very long time to get to a place that now I feel like, oh, I, I, see, the, I see my art taking hold in a way that I have wanted it to for a long time. And, I, I, you know, I, I always tell students, talent is everybody, I, I think everybody has all kinds of different talents. It's how long are you going to stay with it? How much do you want it? How much are you going to say, oh, that's rejection. Okay, I I can. Not everybody wants it. And that's okay too. You know, that you might not want it that bad. I just want it. I want it bad. And so I still, I have that same fire that I was talking about as a teenager. I I still feel it. I don't, I don't feel any different. I I don't want it any less. I want to create work. Now, the reasons for creating it might be slightly different, but I, I would say I was always figuring out how do I create community? What does gathering space look like? How do I use my art to uh, expand, to bring in, to gather, to fight back? It was always art as, you know, art as, as, a, as a means to get to other things too. But I, I just didn't ever, th- I just have never thought now, I do other things. My, the, the hustle of my work, I, I do other things. I teach, I, you know, I lead workshops. I have, when I think about what sustains my life, you know, what, how, how you make money, how you pay bills, how you, you know, art has not always been the thing, but it always is. It's always a thread. So, you know, it just never felt like it never was a moment for me of like, I could quit or I could not write. It just wasn't a possible, even when I wasn't getting published at that much, or even when it felt like, am I ever going to have a book or am I ever going to, you know, it just felt like I still had to write in my journal or I still had to go back. I still had to, to manage my own emotions or manage my heart or how to get through the next day. I had to go back to the writing or I had to go back to performing or creating with people, you know? 
That's why I wanted to talk to you. I just think it's so fascinating. You're so smart to point that out. Ellen, I can point to a thousand people who were exceptionally talented, who've never achieved anything because their work ethic didn't match their talent. And so when you put those two things together, you got a winning combination. Um, so I, I'm so glad that you said that. Um, what about, so going from UK to New York, that's, you know, I, we've all seen reality shows. I just want to go to New York and be heard. Well, okay. Do you have anything to say is the bigger, is the bigger, uh, the the bigger issue. What was that transition and decision-making process like? And, and I'm working my way toward your publishings and and everything that you have going on. uh, But I just think it's important at these decisive moments in people's lives to know how you, how you got on the plane or packed up the car and just made it happen. Yeah. Yes. So, so, you know, I had wanted to go to NYU, but didn't. So I was in my, getting my BFA. I knew that I wanted to go to New York city. I applied to, I, I was in, in London in this semester and I wanted, there was an, a writer, um, her name is Sapphire, who I really just had read a bunch of Sapphire's work and I really wanted to work with, with her. So uh, at that time, Sapphire was at the new school and I didn't know much about MFA programs, Master of Fine Arts in Creative Writing. I knew I wanted to get to New York. I felt like I might need to be studying to go there. I felt like, you know, oh, go ahead. Ellen, is this Sapphire the same Sapphire that is famous for, I, I feel like for the, the book and movie Push? Okay. Do you know this or American um, American Dream is one of the books, but okay, it, it sounded like a familiar name to me. Okay, I think yeah. So, uh, but yes, same same um, author of, of Push um, that was that was also made into a movie. Uh, so I j- I knew Sapphire was on faculty at the New School, and so that made me. I said I I'm just going to apply. I applied to a very just I think three MFA programs all in New York City. I remember thinking if I don't get into grad school, I don't, I don't know exactly what I thought I was going to do. I knew I wanted to get to New York. I felt like if I was in a program, I even think my family would have, was like, okay, you can, if you go study, maybe that will be, you know, you'll have something to do once you get there. Yeah. You know, I just graduated with an art degree and I was going to get another art degree. So yeah, I think, I, I think my family was like, fingers crossed. Like, what are you going to do out there? I got into the new school. I moved to New York uh, two weeks before September 11th happened. I moved there in a, I I had two suitcases. And I remember being like, I know zero people in New York. I'm going to take, I took the taxi from LaGuardia. I took a yellow taxi cab with my two little suitcases. I moved into a dorm with, I think there were four other people. I was 22 I was like, what have I done? It sounds, sounds like the opening sequence of like a sitcom. No, I know. I was like, oh my God. And I was ended up being in this MFA. Of course, it, September 11th happened before my first day of classes. September 11th happened. I went, my, my mom's family is on the East Coast. So I went and stayed with my grandmother in New Jersey and was like, oh my gosh, is the, what, what have I done? Am I going to stay in New York? I, I remember there was, an MFA program called at Spalding University that had just opened a low residency. My mom, I remember her saying, you could come back, come back to Kentucky. There's an MFA program here. You could. And I've been thinking about that a lot because I, I, 
it's an amazing program too, but I stayed in New York and thinking about what made me stay. I mean, I remember feeling very just, you know, just scared of, of the world and scared of, I, I just remember having a lot of fear and being, but not wanting to leave. I, I feel like it happened and I didn't, it made me want to stay more. There was something about the, the energy of the city, you know, the, I've been in New York about 20 years now and the, the energy of this city matches my energy like nowhere else I've ever been. So this, the, the, I was able, it, it was like met me where I was, you know? And, and so the MFA program really changed my life too. I was in a very small cohort. I mean, it wasn't very small. It, it was a cohort of writers at different ages. So the new school was traditionally people who had, you know, a very multi-generational, very much people who had full-time careers and who were coming back and getting their masters. So I got to work with, I did get to work with Sapphire, Darcy Steinke. I got to work with just writers who were, and I got to be in class with people of different ages and see how they were shaping their careers as artists. So I got to sort of watch and study. Oh, this is how this person does it. Okay, I'm, 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 I'm seeing how people are building lives. And I'll, I'll say one other thing that got me, I, in my, that semester abroad, which is where, by the way, that semester abroad was my senior year. And I remember thinking, when I go back to Kentucky, I have to figure out what the rest of my life is going to look like because I'm going to graduate and I don't have anything. I don't have any plans. I was I was working as a waitress at the Texas Roadhouse when I was in Kentucky. And I was like, uh, I got I have a job as a waitress. I'm not even a very good waitress. And now I got I, I what am I going to do? I was I spent the summer selling sunglasses on the Jersey Shore. I was like, I've got I, I don't I don't have anything after this. So when I was that senior year, when I was in, in London, I looked up this program called the Community Word Project, which was a nonprofit arts and education. It had, it had artists that were going in schools. I knew I loved education. I loved teaching, but I didn't want to get an education degree. I just didn't, I, I didn't want to be a full-time classroom teacher. So the fact that I was able to be in this program called the Community Word Project, and I so that my first year when I got to, to New York, to the new school, this is a little bit of a winding path. I was part of this cohort of artists who were getting their teaching artist certificate or were getting trained to be teaching artists. So I was not only getting my MFA, but I was teaching at the same time. So I, I say all that because I was also having to figure out how do I make money? How do I, you know, my parents, you know, they were like, we're going to help you with school, but we're not going to help you with anything else. you got to pay. You have to have a job the whole time you're there. You can't go to New York and just be writing. <laughs> you got to be writing and. So I say that because that's the, the work that I ended up doing. The work that I am now in was all sort of it was it, it ran in tandem with the work that I was doing as a writer. So I was figuring out how do I pay bills? How do I write stories? How do I you know, I was kind of figuring all of that out while I was getting my MFA because I knew I wanted to stay in New York, but I didn't know how I was going to be able to afford it after I finished my degree. Yeah. <laughs> so just wanted to tell that part of it because it was very scary to be in New York and think, how am I going to survive in New York? What the hell, you know, how am I going to make it? Well, that's a valuable part of the story though. I mean, that's, that's what people need to hear. We, I, you know, I, I say all the time, we hear success stories all the time. 
You know, I, the thing that annoys me more than anything is when an adult looks at, looks at, looks at a child who is asking for advice, or I don't mean child, like a young person, you know, uh, asking for advice. And the only advice that you have for them is to work hard and you can be whatever you want. No, stop saying that to people. What did you do? How did you do it? How did you survive failure? How did you, you know, get from point A to B point B? Cause I think that's where the magic is. I think that's where the instruction is. That's where yeah. the motivation is. Um, so, you know, currently after, you know, obviously you, you navigate it. I, I didn't even realize the September 11th part, Ellen, the timing of that. It makes sense. I, I it should have put that together, but that, that's a lot. You know, you, you have this romanticized idea of what your New York experience is going to be. Um, and obviously, people suffered more than, Oh no, I don't get to have my New York experience, but that that's a lot. That that's a game changer. You could have easily packed those two suitcases back up and <laughs> hit the road. Right. What about now? So you, you've taken all those experiences and it sounds like you were conscious about learning every step of the way, which is, I would argue what's made you successful. Um, I know you've published several things, some of which I've read, some of which I've heard, um, talk about what you're doing now. Yeah. So I, I, the work now is, you know, I think I, I think I published my first collection of poetry in 2010, I want to say, I think so. And then 2015, um, with Northwestern University Press, which is my, my poetry publisher. And then several years ago, 2019, I think, uh, I co-wrote a book with Renee Watson, who is a close friend and, and an amazing, incredible author, uh, somebody who I so much admire and, and look toward as, oh, this I, I have loved what her career has done. And so we co-wrote a book called Watch Us Rise together. And that sort of, it absolutely shaped my career as a young adult author. You know, I... I I'm not sure, you know, I, I got my MFA in fiction and, but was also a poet, felt like I was a poet first. And so I, the last couple of books, I wrote a middle grade novel in verse that is, is all told in p- poetic form. So when you say novel in verse, each, each poem kind of um, flows into the next. It is told, it's told in a, you know, you follow a plot, but each a page is a different poem that leads to the next. Um, it's sort of the poems are in conversation. And so I have uh, uh, that that was called Reckless Glorious Girl that was set in Bardstown, Kentucky. That came out in February, along with a poetry collection called Blooming Fiascos. And I have another book um, that is a young adult novel in verse that's coming out in uh, July 2022. And so I, that is a, a book called Don't Call Me a Hurricane. And that is a book, uh, a novel in verse about a group of young environmental activists who've lived through a hurricane. And it's uh, the summer before senior year. Their action is protecting this um, area of marshlands. And Eliza Marino is the main character. She finds herself falling in love with a tourist who's holding on to a, a devastating secret that could shape the, the their relationship to their island. So... I am, I am, this book is coming out in 2022, but I'm, I'm thinking about art as, again, as response to what's happening in the world. I'm thinking a lot about climate justice. I'm thinking a lot about the environment, a lot about what young people do to rise up. That's what Watch Us Rise was specifically about two young activists. And so my work right now, I think, is, 
is absolutely in conversation. The word, that's the work I do as, an, as, as a teaching artist too. I work in schools, kindergarten through 12th grade here in New York City. And so I'm often in conversation with young people and seeing the way they are pushing back in the world, seeing the way they're, you know, um, seeing the way, the way they're in conversation with these larger political issues and social justice issues. So I'm trying, I think, you know, I'm trying to create art that is in conversation, in those same conversations. Uh, and that's what's speaking to me right now. Um, but I'm always, you know, I, I don't know, I'm, I'm writing. I think that's, that's the part to me that feels ongoing. I might be writing essays or I might be writing, you know, I'm, I'm trying to come up with new ideas of what stories do I want to tell? You know, um, how, do, how, does, how does that art how is it in conversation with the larger world? So that's that's the work I'm doing right now. How do you, I, you know, creatively, what does that process look like? Because, you know, obviously, you know, I have been a paid writer my entire professional career. But the difference is I don't write creatively. I'm given a structure. When I write for news or I write, whether it's a documentary, half hour, hour, whatever it is, there is a structure and then I find the creativity inside that structure and then blend the facts into it, right? So everything is factual, but you're just wordsmithing and, and adding color and inserting sound bites and characters. But with you, <clears throat> or anytime you're in the creative space, you're making it all up. And right. so when you talk about, when you talk about, you know, I'm writing this and I'm writing that and I'm thinking through that, what does that look like for you? Is it is it a bunch of post-it notes posted on your wall? Is it a journal with you at all times? Is it waking up in the middle of the night without having an idea? Like, what does that look like for you? Yeah. Yes. So I, I have kept a journal. I have dozens and dozens of journals. I, I am very much a hardcore journaler. I keep everything in the journal. I, I collect notes or, you know, um, lists. I'm a big, I make a ton of lists, but I'm keeping my journal with me all the time. But when I'm like this month, for instance, I, so I'm under contract for a book in 2023. Well, I have to write the book. So I, I have an idea of what I want. I have a timeline I have a, a, some versions of it and I have scenes that I want to create. So this month, I, you know, for me, the, 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 between the Thanksgiving break and the holiday break is always a long stretch. It's like a few weeks. I just feel like, oh, I can't, it's, it's still work. Things are still happening. I decided, I was like, I'm going to write a thousand words a day for 21 days. There's this, there's um, Jamie Attenberg, who's another writer, does these uh, thousand words a day. She does a two week stretch in the summer and then she does these mini 1000s. I did them with a couple of friends and I was like, okay, I'm going to write a thousand words a day. It is not easy to write a thousand words a day, mm -hmm. but I knew I had to with, you know, I have a full time job. I have, you know, so I'm trying to figure out in my day, what does that look like? If I need to, so I made the challenge to myself. I was like 21 days, I'm going to write 21,000 words. It doesn't have to be good words. It does not. I had a student say, can you write the same word a thousand times? I was like, yeah, you can, if you want to, you might get bored doing that, but you could. So I, what that ended up looking like, and I'm almost tomorrow's the last day of it. I worked on a ton of essays. I, which was basically me just writing memoir, writing about some, some life experiences that I just haven't had time to write about, or I've wanted to, but I haven't put it on the page. 
it started with, uh, I started at, you know, this other novel I'm working on. I wrote a bunch of new pages for that based on scenes. Uh, I wrote some, I, I came up with maybe a new idea. So I started this list of like, I have young adult ideas. I have adult novels that I'm wanting to write. It's all just, how do I get the words on the page? Now, some of it might be pretty terrible. So when I go through it and start to craft, I might take out a ton of those words. There might be only seven or 8,000 good words, but it's more than the no good words I would have had if I didn't do this challenge. Well, that's so, so helpful. Yeah. yeah. That's so helpful because you, you sit down and you do it. And then yeah. you, it's not, in, in my mind, it's just such an erratic thing where you can't walk through the grocery store without, oh, no, it just had an idea. Let me stop. Like you're constantly... Um, constantly doing that. So it's, it's, it's good that you're intentional about setting the structure that allows you to be creative. Yeah. Well, and I'm also, I mean, I will say this, the biggest thing for me is reading. It has been, I had two, I have two kids an 11 and an eight year old when they were small, I had a, I felt like a drought of not reading as much. And over the last several years, as they've gotten older, my reading has completely shaped all of my work. The more I'm reading, I read a ton of graphic novels with my kids. I read poetry collections. I read, you know, I'm, I'm figuring out how to, I'm studying, you know, and I, I was not the, always the best student. So, but if I loved something that I was studying, I could do it well. So I'm, I'm figuring out, I'm watching careers of other people that I admire too. I'm saying, oh, okay, how does, you know, I'm looking at someone else's career and saying, I want that. So how do I get to that? How do I read what they're doing? I'm, I'm looking at the, their novels and saying, how did, what did they do for plot structure? How did they get from A to B? I'm thinking about, you know, um, I'll shout out uh, Dominicana by Angie Cruz, Love is a Revolution by Renee Watson, um, Mahogany Brown, Chlorine Sky. She has a novel in verse that I, I thought was beautiful. But I'm just thinking about what how do I watch what other people are doing and how do I follow their thread? I always tell students, look at other people. You know, you're surrounding yourself with people who are rising up so that you go, I want to do what they're doing. You know, one of my close friends, um, Aris Girmay, who's a, a phenomenal poet, just wrote a, a, a children's book that's so beautiful. And I was like, how did she create her own poems and then translate them to this children's book? It's so, it's gorgeous. How do I do that? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm watching and studying how other phenomenal artists are doing it. And I'm like, how do I get there? You know, I, so I think that's all part of doing the work, too. It's being in community, surrounding yourself with people who are doing things that you want to do. Like, how do I get to that place? You know, their success, I, I always think of their success as my success, especially if I know them. I'm like, we're, we're, we're in this together. It is so funny. It is so clear that we're from the same place because, you know, you are hitting center mass about, you know, why I wanted this podcast to exist because mm -hmm. my, you articulated a little bit differently. The way I say it is surround yourself with intention, get around the people who are doing things in life that you want to achieve. And sooner or later, if you're diligent about it, their standards will become yours. So and true. it is so true. And I just, I, I say that to people all the time. It's not enough to just interact with people and be, as you would say, in community with people, but study what they're doing. Yeah. Ask them how they did it. Ask them how they navigated certain things. And you, every single time, will come out 
better. I would say, you know, um, what's the saying? You know, hang around with nine people who are not accomplishing anything and you'll soon be the 10th. Yeah. yeah. That's true. That's right. true. It's so true. Uh, yeah. What's next yeah. for you, Ellen? I mean, you're, you, I, I, it feels like you got so many irons in the fire. Um, and I think by most accounts, you know, you're successful already. And I think what happens when people reach a level of success, like, okay, well, Ellen's successful. What's next? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I am excited to hopefully, uh, you know, be able to, when this next book comes out in summer, I'm excited to take it and, you know, hopefully be at bookstores and festivals and be in conversation with with young people who who are excited by by books and excited by novels in verse i think you know part of the work i do now is at this organization called the dream yard project which is also an arts and ed social justice based uh anti-racist organization that it's some of the work i do there with uh, what's called the international poetry exchange program that was founded with dream yard and and caroline kennedy who is the ambassador um, the U.S. ambassador in Japan at the time, the work I'm doing with young people on the international scale that's partnering with kids in New York and the Philippines and Korea and Japan, that feels like very, very exciting work in the field of education. When I think about young people having conversations around sharing cultures, sharing stories, sharing traditions, foods, and that's the work I feel like I always go back to of what does this work look like he, you know, what does it work, work look like locally and then nationally and then globally? How do we all stay in conversation with each other? What does that world building, you know, look like? And how do you do it with art making? And so then as an artist, I, you know, I'm, I'm just wanting to, to create as much as possible. I'm, I feel like I want to say yes to things. I want to stay open to where the art takes me. You know, how does it, how does it, in conversation with other artists, where do I go back to thinking about what does gathering artists look like? What does the dialogue look like? How do I push? Um, how do I push against the, the the social issues that are still on my mind? What? How does art, you know, speak back to those? So I don't know. I'm always. I think just creating as much as possible, doing as much as I can with the time given. You know what well, I mean? Like just I do. I know exactly much. what you mean. Well, it's it's fun, especially now. Because, and, and maybe you thought through this this way, but it's new to me because, you know, with what's happened in the world over the past couple of years with the civil unrest and the pandemic, what I've noticed here in Louisville is, uh, I don't know if you're, if you know Hannah Drake, a local poet uh, here in Louisville, yes. who, uh, you know, Hannah's had a line for, for quite a while that she says, you know, uh, something to the extent of I'm not writing for your entertainment or something like that. I'm writing to shake a nation. Mm -hmm. And I always just thought that was just a powerful line, right? I'm writing to shake a nation. But when the social unrest or the civil unrest started here in Louisville, she became the voice of that movement locally. Uh -huh. And it propelled her to this level of thought leadership, which she deserved to be in. Uh, just a very talented, smart individual. But I say that, Ellen, because that was the first time that I looked at poetry. And I know this has existed for hundreds of years, but it's the first time I looked at poetry through the lens of affecting social justice. 
And so, you know, reconnecting with you recently and seeing some of the things that you've written and the commitment that you have uh, to diversity um, and and just real conversation, uh, it's just this newfound appreciation for what the arts can do for a movement and a people at a time where people are desperately looking for a way to articulate the thoughts that we're all having, but just don't have the ability to articulate them. And, and I think that's what you do. Yeah. Thank you. And I, you know, I, I think about, I always like to give a shout out to the Kentucky governor's school for the arts, because that ch- changed everything for me. And I did that at 17 years old. And so I'm also thinking about Kentucky as this the, a hot spot. You know, I, I, I always say I, I wanted so much to get out of Kentucky. The second I left Kentucky, everything I was doing was in service of trying to get back to Kentucky. I'm always trying to figure out like, what does, what do young Kentucky artists, what can they do in the state? What can they do outside of the state and out, you know, not to feel like you have to be tied to being in the state, but you can still be in and everywhere. Like thinking about this, how do I sort of have these circles and go back and and take what I learned there and take it outside, then take what I'm learning, bring it back to Kentucky. I feel like that Kentucky taught me all of those things. All all that I am as an artist is absolutely in thanks to Kentucky. You know, so so I'm thinking about that too. How do I how do I give back to uh, a community of artists who gave me so much too? So I'm thinking about that thread always of, of, you know, how do we use art to make change? And I saw it modeled so beautifully in my home state. Where can people find you? I know you're online. I know you're on YouTube, but I also believe if I remember that some of your books are available here locally. Yes. They can find Carmichael's, I would say Joseph Beth booksellers, you can find my books there. Um, my website's ellenhagen.com. Uh, I often in April will put prompts, uh, one a day prompts, or there's a ton of prompts on my blog. If you want to be writing or you want to be creating, it's a place where you could find some, some lessons, activities, exercises, um, and you can always contact me on, on my website there as well. I love having you on the show, Ellen. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Always, Eric. Big thanks to Ellen for taking the time to visit with me and special thanks to Ellen's mom, Janina Hagen, who's always been super supportive to me. You can learn more about Ellen at her website, ellenhagen.com. There, you can also find information about her books. As always, thanks for listening and don't forget to like and subscribe.